welcome back to The Daily Poem here on the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern. Today's poem is by John Keats, the very famous, very beloved John Keats, and this is one of his more famous, more beloved poems. It's called Ode on a Grecian Urn. This poem is on the longer end of the poems that I typically read here on the show, but it is one of the best poems ever written, certainly one of the most famous poems, as I said, and so it's worth sharing with you. So I'm going to dive right into reading it. This is Ode on a Grecian Urn by John Keats. Thou still unravished bride of quietness, thou foster child of silence and slow time, sylvan historian who canst thus express a flowery tale more sweetly than our rhyme, what leaf-ringed legend haunts about thy shape of deities or mortals, or of both in Tempe or the dales of Arcady? What men or gods are these? What maiden's loth, what mad pursuit, what struggle to escape, what pipes and timbrels, what wild ecstasy? Heard melodies are sweet, but those unheard are sweeter. Therefore, ye soft pipes, play on, not to the sensual ear, but more endeared, pipe to the spirit ditties of no tone. Fair youth beneath the trees, thou canst not leave thy song, nor ever can those trees be bare. Bold lover, never, never canst thou kiss, though winning near the goal yet. Do not grieve. She cannot fade, Though thou hast not thy bliss, for ever wilt thou love, and she be fair. Ah, happy, happy boughs, thou cannot shed your leaves, nor ever bid the spring adieu. And happy melodist, unwearied, forever piping songs, forever new. More happy love, more happy, happy love, forever warm and still to be enjoyed. Forever panting and forever young all breathing human passion far above that leaves a heart high sorrowful and cloyed, a burning forehead and a parching tongue. Who are these coming to the sacrifice? To what green altar, O mysterious priest, leads thou that heifer lowing at the skies and all her silken flanks with garlands dressed? What little town by river or seashore or mountain built with peaceful citadel is emptied of this folk, this pious morn? And little town thy streets forevermore will silent be, and not a soul to tell why thou art desolate can ne'er return. O attic shape, fair attitude, with breed of marble men and maidens overwrought with forest branches and the trodden weed, thou silent form dost tease us out of thought as doth eternity. Cold pastoral, when old age shall this generation waste, thou shalt remain in midst of other woe than ours. A friend to man, to whom thou sayest, Beauty is truth, truth beauty. That is all ye know on earth, and all ye need to know. So, I've been reading a book, I think I may have mentioned it on the show before, called Why Poetry by Matthew Zapruder. It came out last year, I believe. And this is a this is a wonderful book. And he has a wonderful passage about this poem. And I'd like to share this, this passage with you. Um, this is in a chapter uh, that focuses on Keats's idea of negative capability. And this is, this is what he says. The thou, or you, in the poem is the urn. And the speaker is talking to it. The urn is married to quietness, though the two have not yet consummated their relationship. It's also an orphan. A foster child adopted by a couple my wife and I would feel quite okay about going on vacation with. Silence and slow time. 
The poet is looking at the figures on the urn. Legend, in this case, seems to refer to a less common definition of that word, which is an inscription on an object. The poet can't read the legend, the words on the urn. Maybe he doesn't speak Greek, so he has to wonder. The poet also wonders what is going on with these figures depicted on the urn. Are they gods or mortals or both mixed together? Someone is chasing someone endlessly. The poet looks with great care at every detail of the urn, falling deeper into the spell of its mysterious landscape, continuing to ask questions he cannot answer. The whole rest of the poem is driven by the energy of this not knowing. The poem is an experience of continual speculation and wondering. There is also a lot of contradiction in the poem. Right after the poet gets finished telling us that the urn is both a bride and a child of silence, he calls it a sylvan historian, a historian of the woods, one that expresses a flowery tale. That the offspring of silence would talk is, if not exactly a contradiction, at least unexpected. If in reading the poem you get distracted by an irritable need to come up with a consistent, coherent set of ideas that the speaker has in his feelings about the urn, an overall message about the urn, or silence, or time, or mortality, instead of thinking about the statements of the poem as a series of deeply felt, shifting, even contradictory thoughts, you will miss what is truly great about the experience of reading it. Maybe poems are not to be read for their great answers, but for their great, more often than not, unanswerable questions. Unlike every other use of language, poems are where contradictions and possibilities of the material of our meaning-making system are not an unfortunate and troubling ghost in the machine. They are brought forth to be celebrated. The role of the poem is to bring out all the aspects of language, its provisionality, uncertainty, slippage, as well as its miraculous ability to communicate, to mean. Consistency, logic, the pleasurable obligations of plot and setting and characters, those are conveniences for the poet, to be adopted or discarded at will. What are the marks of a failed language act everywhere else? are, if not the mark of, at least the beginnings of poetry. And then a little bit more further ahead. Instead of objecting to or trying to reconcile with a single overarching interpretation, the contradictions or lack of an overall coherence of thought in a poem, it is best to embrace that strangeness, to think about what questions it raises, and to let those questions lead us to the deeper thinking that poems exist to produce. When we read a poem, if it is doing what it is supposed to do, we are not irritably reaching after fact or reason or some overall view of the world that will settle for once and for all the questions raised by the poem. We experience each moment in the poem as authentic and true, and the overall effect of this experience is to put us, as Valieri writes, in the poetic state of mind. The poem places us in the middle of the inherently contradictory nature of being. While reading the poem, it is possible for us to be in touch with a deeper truth. Negative capability is just one way of describing this feeling, of being in a place of possibility and freedom that is intimately related to the slippery, provisional, wondrously meaningful nature of language itself. End quote. So because of the length of the poem, I'm not going to read it again right now, but I do encourage you to listen to my reading of it again, to go back and listen again, or to find it online or in an anthology or collection of Keats' work. And I certainly encourage you to check out Why Poetry by Matthew Zapruder. This has been another episode of The Daily Poem. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back tomorrow with another poem for you.